And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. So many of you out there are hopeful entrepreneurs, startup founders waiting to happen. Some of you have already taken the plunge and you know that almost every business that gets started somewhere somehow needs some kind of funding. If you're not used to that landscape, man, it can be confusing and there are a lot of different ways to do it. Today, we're going to talk about pre-seed funding and the things that occur before you get big. And I've got a great guest that I will introduce after I remind you that today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult and Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has a platform to help you manage that team. Go to Fullscale.io to learn more. There's a link for that in the show notes. With me today, I've got Ryan Jansen. Ryan is the CEO and founder of Zenletic. And Zenletic is out of New York, New York, doing all kinds of interesting stuff. Ryan, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thank you so much, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely stoked. Love the pod. Uh, and it's an honor to be a guest. Yeah, and, and you're going to teach me how to say your business name properly again at some point. <laughs> I, I think I, I'm, I'm trying, but for those of you, don't try to spell Zenlytic.com. Scroll on down to the show notes and give a click. Uh, Ryan's doing some great stuff around business intelligence and other stuff. But, you know, Ryan, why don't we just get this conversation started with a little bit about your backstory and what brought you to Startup Hustle today? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, we're here to talk about fundraising. Uh, I've got a unique perspective on that because I've lived on both sides of the table. And, you know, my long story short is I was actually an engineer in my native Canada uh, for a couple of years, but then I quickly went to the UK uh, and I got an MBA there and I kind of hustled my way into being an early employee at a venture capital fund that was just starting out. Uh, and I, I stayed there for about six years. I was investing anywhere from pre-seed up to growth, uh, but with, with a focus on the earlier side of things. So I did a lot of pre-seed investing there, uh, saw thousands and thousands of pitches. Uh, before I crossed the table, uh, I got so excited by an idea. I said, you know, I can't just invest in this. I have to participate. Crossed the table, crossed the Atlantic, went back to do it in New York, uh, and founded Zenlytic uh, with my co-founder, Paul, which is like a BI tool with a built-in LLM chatbot. Um, and as part of Zenlytic, we've now raised two rounds of funding. Um, we have, and you know, a, a big part of what I do is I spend a lot of time speaking with investors and, uh, both new and existing and, and sort of managing that whole landscape. So I've been on both sides of the table. I have pitched a lot. I've seen a lot of pitches, uh, and I feel like I can, that, that's why I deserve to have an opinion and talk about this stuff. There you go. Yeah. Well, you know, working in and around VC, like, you know, before we get into like some of the ways that pre-seed funding comes in, I mean, it kind of all starts for us at this point. I mean, I think a lot of a lot of people that I've talked to over the years, and I think I've you know, recorded eight or nine hundred episodes of this show. Um, 
So, you know, had a lot of uh, a big sample space there. I mean, a lot of people just write it, you know, a lot of, I find a lot of people have been successful professionally before they start their startup. They're usually a little older, um, you know, then you've got a whole batch of people that are starting, you know, companies when they're young, you know, anywhere from who knows when to, I don't know that the older I get, the younger young seems, but, you know, <laughs> but I mean, outside of writing your own checks, I mean, what are some of the things that you've seen or learned from around VC or some clever ways that you've seen people fund a business? Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, it changes so much from stage to stage. So I think it probably helps us start with the pre-seed level, basically. Um, you know, what's funny is that, uh, People have this sudden misconception where they want to go start a business and it's like, oh man, yeah, I'd love to go and build this product, but then I got to raise funding for it. And, you know, how am I going to go and do that? And they want to start trying to get investor attention. Uh, you know, I remember, I, was, uh, I remember the peak of that. I was actually at a, a startup event when I was investing and somebody like spray painted their logo onto a sheep and let it loose in the auditorium. And I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> Did they get um, funded? <laughs> you know, I don't think so. <laughs> Um, maybe, I mean, they were a little, maybe they were a little too sheepish when it came to a asking for the money. That's right. Yeah. I heard they got shorn in the ter- by the term sheet. Uh, no, so they. Uh, yeah, but no, like <laughs> that was good. I like that. That was that was that was like a a, a one-two punch of bad dad jokes. <laughs> that's right. Are we are we are we dad joking this? I've got I, a I whole a bunch child. of them about startups right. and entrepreneurs. Don't get me started, Ryan. All right. Well, I'm actually I'm actually a dad, so I, I was just born for this role. Um, well, by the way, I'm waiting till the next time I have to speak in an event, and I'm not going to do anything but tell dad jokes about entrepreneurs. <laughs> no, I'm not going to tell the host that, but when I get up on stage, that's what I'm planning. So yeah, I'll put that. I'm going to put the sheep in there. You know what's funny? In the BI and data world, there's actually a big community of of like data folks, uh, and dad jokes are a foundational part of that community. Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, jokes are a foundational part of life. So here, that's you. right. Exactly. All right. Um, the older okay, I get, the better so, they are. So outside of, a sh- of putting yeah. your logo on a sheep and releasing it in an event, which by the way, I don't recommend. That could actually be illegal where you live. So look that uh-huh. up. Uh, yeah, don't don't do that. I'm not saying do that. In yeah. fact, I'm saying the opposite, which is like people go out and they 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 do the cart before the horse. They're saying that you should. Uh, they they spend all this time trying to get investor attention uh, so they can go and build the thing they want. What they should be doing is build the thing they want so they can go and get investor attention. Um, when I when I went to go raise our pre-seed round, I was quite prepared to go and you know use the network that I you know built up as a VC. Um, and before we even had a chance to do that, uh, we just started getting introductions from from new friends in the industry. And you know our, we were in a little incubator, uh, and the incubator had people recommending us to other investors, and uh, it just happened so organically. We just started getting in touch with people that I never had to tap my own networks to fundraise for really for either of our two rounds so far. Um, so lesson one is that, you know, even though it was a VC, I didn't get a big leg up by having the network and I didn't need to use the network. I think the much more effective thing uh, was that my co-founder Paul and I were just really passionate about, about this. And, uh, you know, we had set out to just really start building what we were trying to build. Uh, and, it was early and it was rough, uh, uh, you know, for sure. But by putting ourselves in the ecosystem and, you know, having the start of a product, that was all it took to start getting those conversations to happen organically. It didn't take a whole bunch of hustle outbound, cold emailing, asking for intros. We just were building an interesting area. Uh, you know, we had a few people who were willing to sort of connect us and like, hey, you should be with such and such. Uh, and we met all the people we needed. So like, I would say, ironically, the best way to fundraise is probably to start building. 
you know, I think is, you came, I, I, I feel like you came into that process with a little more maybe cred and understanding, you know, mm. you had been around the startup space, you'd worked at a VC space. I think that makes it a little easier for, to, for people to want to maybe listen to what you're saying. Just, and, and so, you know, I think before we get into like, okay, look, here's like the Holy Trinity of pre-seed. I'm going to go ahead. Uh, this is a, uh, what is that? What do they call it? Uh, uh, I'm going to give away the ending here, but maybe not. Bootstrapping friends and family and angel investors are like the holy trinity of, of pre-seed funding, right? Now with that though, I think you 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 really have, you, you made a brilliant point. And I don't know if, if you were making it on purpose, but the, the, how you got to, why are you credible? Like, why do I want to listen to you? And I think it's the very first thing, if you're going to look for, if you're going to look for funding, whether it is from friends and family or angel investors or anyone, you know, like, I think you need to take, sit down and write out some things. Like, for example, for you, you had already been around the startup ecosystem. You had worked in venture capital. You had heard a lot of pitches. You were maybe aware of some problems that needed to be solved around business and data analytics and stuff like that. And that made that a little easier. So I, for those of you out there that want pre-seed, like, why do I want to listen to you? And me, when I say I, I don't mean me personally, I mean anybody that's out there. So what's your level of expertise? I think if you spent the last 10 years working as an insurance adjuster, that maybe name image likeness licensing for sports, it might not be the great, the best match for you. Cause I'm going to sit there and go, what do you know or understand in and around this business or problem solving problems for it? But then you might come back, you might say, you know what? I went to Harvard and I have a degree in sports management. Oh, that makes more sense. So like, what are the, you know, some of this stuff, I think you, before you even go out and look for it, like if you're not willing, and I think that's why so many people write their own checks in the beginning. And, and <laughs> uh, do you know, dude, I have a funny story. I actually once funded a business with a stack of my friend's credit cards. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you're kidding me. No, no, it worked out great, man. I wrote a book about it. The book's called Million Dollar Bedroom. We did all right. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to get out there and do stuff, but if you, you know, some of that was, was credibility, you know, and like, and oh, so, right. so where, where does that exist? And, you know, you mentioned hearing thousands of pitches or, you know, over the years, like, didn't, do you agree or disagree with the credibility thing? Cause I think if it's not there, you're going to have a very difficult time getting anybody to even care. Yeah. Yeah. A few things to unpack there. I would say, well, the first thing is on the credit card story, have you know the, the roulette wheel story? Uh, no. So like there was a famous founder who went out to, you know, he had, he, had, he put, set up the amount of capital they needed and they didn't have enough. They couldn't raise what they needed. So they literally went to Vegas. Do a rat or black. Put it on black. Yeah. They won. That doubled it. That, that, that took it to what they needed to raise the money. Uh, that company's name, Federal Express. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, right. Cool. And that was how FedEx was born. Uh, don't so recommend that remarkable. either, but you yeah, know, don't I mean, recommend that either. But you know, they 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 got it done. I mean, um, I, I will say when it comes to the chance that your startup's going to be successful, fifty fifty isn't so bad. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, it really um, could it really could be different. That's not to get all week. Uh, yeah. So now the next thing is, yeah, you're right. So like, there's two things to unpack. One is, uh, I didn't use my network as a VC to fundraise, but I think what the benefit that I did have from being a VC is that I was better at speaking the language, right? So like, I, I sort of know how to articulate a pitch. I know what works, what doesn't work. Uh, and I think it's, it's important for everyone to get to a certain basic level there. Uh, I think you should read a couple of the books like, you know, like Bus Gang, Master the VC Game, 
read a couple of the books on the mechanics of VC, uh, listen to some of the podcasts, go and listen to a few 20 minute VCs, for instance, uh, which I'm unaffiliated with, but I just think it's a good pod. Go and listen, uh, you know, go and find, find some, some public pitch sessions on YouTube, things like that. Um, just, just get a feel for the cadence and how, what the language is and what's important and what's not important, how to articulate the business. So those, those are all things that you should have some basic proficiency and that I had, you know, as a cheat code from my job. What I didn't have from my job is actually the bigger advantage, right? Which is um, uh, suitability for the problem, founder market fit, right? That's so important at the pre-seed stage. Uh, and uh, like you said, like it's it's not even necessarily just finding exact match of like what your previous job was versus this job. Uh, it's really about building a narrative. Uh, and if I were to recommend one book to read, actually, uh, overall, it's probably this book called Storyworthy uh, by Dix. It's, uh, it's a book on telling stories, uh, which is so important in any sales process, whether you're hiring, whether you're selling your product or whether you're fundraising, uh, probably most of all for fundraising. Uh, and if you can put together a narrative that ties in your past experience your deep understanding of the problem, uh, your passion for solving it and fixing it, you know, and why you're the right person to do that. Like that's 80% of the battle. Um, and I think, you know, the vast majority of founders have not been VCs like me, uh, but the vast majority of founders do have a story that can really tie them to the problem they're solving or else they probably wouldn't be solving it. Right. So like, uh, if, if you're thoughtful about that, you articulate your previous experience that will shine through and that will help you raise pre-seed successfully. How many, uh, so I've asked this a lot and I, I was just thinking about this. I haven't asked this to someone in a while. How many pitches did you have to get before you gave a yes? Uh, when I, when I, when I, when I pitched my pre-seed round. Yeah. Uh, well, one, <laughs> we were an outlier. Um, I so would say we, that's we, an outlier. Yeah, we, we were, we were kind of an unusual one and our, our story actually, like I said, one of the reasons I didn't tap my network is. Uh, this was earlier. You did one pitch and got funded. Yeah, we got our lead for the first pitch. Uh, that that's unusual. Uh, our our preseason round, unusual. we we had probably spoken to uh, uh, maybe ten or fifteen companies. Um, again, that you know, part of that is doing the homework, and we can say you know yes. why that number is lower than the average. But uh, you know, I would expect, I think, a typical uh, sort of uh, process. Uh, I would expect to speak to between fifty and hundred investors. Not that's, the exact number, that's the exact number I was just sitting on. And right in the middle of that is about where most people kind of end up. And that's going to be, it might not be true pitches, but these are actual conversations that sometimes lead to something after that. And the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up, because if you're listening to this and you're interested in pre-seed funding, I don't want you to quit after five. Yeah, that's right. Because most people, exactly. I mean, that's the only way you can do better than you did is to get funded without the pitch. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so that's like a 99th percentile kind of thing. But I think most people yeah. I've spoken to over the years were in that 50 to 100, like, true contacts. And these are well vetted. And I think you have a great point, too, because you talk about doing your homework. If you're, if you're going to start looking for pre-seed funding, you aren't, you aren't going to have success send waste you're wasting your time talking to sources that don't do pre-seed funding that's a pretty simple uh, way to put it right yeah that's a pretty common mistake you'll still spend a lot of your time chasing funds that are not excited about your industry yeah. uh you know so if, or if your you're, stage, you're yeah. yeah or your stage uh yeah. you know fit is really really important um but yeah it's true you got to kiss a lot of frogs and uh part, i mean part of that is just it's a numbers game like any sales process part of that is 
you will, you know, if, if you give up after five, you're not going to see it. You're going to meaningfully improve your, the quality of your pitch over time, you know, and you're going to take things away from every pitch you do. You're going to start to see patterns. You're going to see common questions and you're going to learn how to, you know, address those, preempt those, think about those, have a position on those, uh, you know, like anything else, you just got to get the reps in. And, and, you know, once you get that sort of muscle memory around uh, what you expect that conversation to look like, you know, the, the, the last, uh, whatever, 30 conversations are going to go much better than the first 30. So like you learn as you go. Um, there's, I know there's one important thing too, which is like, you know, why did we have lower numbers for those? And I would say there, there is a way to flex that down. I, it doesn't always work, but I think you can, you can definitely improve uh, the speed and ease of which you pitch by doing your homework in advance. Um, now what I mean by that is, uh, for example, this is for our seed round, not our pre-seed round, but we had actually started talking with our seed round lead, uh, Bain Capital Ventures. We started speaking to them basically the day we closed our seed round early, the same week that we closed our pre-seed round, sorry. The, uh, we started talking with our seed round lead, uh, and we were introduced to them uh, and just did a check-in. And we were like, oh, you know what? Sorry, we just raised this in the pre-seed round now. We can't fundraise right now, but like, let's just keep checking in. Um, you know, that involves sort of calling shots. It's like, hey, listen, let's, let's check in in six months. Uh, by then, we're going to have X, Y, and Z done. Uh, you know, let's check in in a quarter. Oh, by then, we're going to have grown by 5X, you know, whatever it's going to be. And, uh, you know, we just kind of showed them. We called a bunch of shots uh, and we made it. Uh, shot called, shot made, shot called, shot made, and then just built the relationship over time. Uh, when it came time to go and do that seed round, we reached out to a handful of funds that, you know, we had been doing that with. Uh, a few raised their hands and we just picked a partner that we thought would be the best fit, which was great for us too, because, you know, that process also got let us get to know the funds really well. So I, I guess a lot of what I'm trying to say is a lot of the pitch happens before the pitch. You know, it's about preparation, building relationships, uh, you know, building trust, showing credibility. I, I think that's all things you can do before you even sit down at the table. Well, I think, you know, in the pre-seed rounds, you could find that it takes infinity to close yeah. the round to get an investor. And then you might find that you get it like you with one person. Like these are, I, I like I like the seed and angel pre-seed kind of rounds because, you know, you get a lot of people in there that are that write smaller checks, but they play a little faster and loose with those checks in many occasions. You know, you're talking people that write 25, 50K I don't know, 250K kind of checks. I don't think you typically find the $5 million one from a lot of people, but there are a lot of, you know, angel level investors and that's friend and family and stuff like that, 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 that are out there. So, you know, it could happen pretty quickly and then it also can't. Now, one of the things is, you know, as we kind of approach the halfway point of the show, I want to remind everyone, get your shit together. Like if you go and give a pitch to me and I want to invest, how easy is it for you to collect my money and get that done? And I think a lot of people go out and start mm. poking around and then all of a sudden they get someone <laughs> that wants to write a check and they're like, uh, what do I do now? And right. I remember yeah. the very first time I, I went through this process myself, I actually hired a consultant to come in and like work with me. And he, this dude traveled to Kansas city and stayed here for a week. And I mean, I got everything together. I mean, it was literally like a, a, a you know, a, a process, you know, here's step one, here's step two, here's step three, here's step four. And like, and, th and th this guy just beat it into my head. He's like, you are not going to talk to anyone until you are able to collect money. Cause if someone wants to give you money, you need to be able to take it. Otherwise, everything that you've done and everything you've worked for to that point could turn into vapor. 
Because what happens if everything goes right? Everyone's trying to prevent the sky from falling. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. It doesn't have to be difficult. Much like finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you go to fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. You can use Fullscale's platform to define your technical needs and see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team, fullscale.io. While you're there, go to zenletic.com. It's in the it's in the show notes. Scroll down and, and give a link or click the link. Now, you know, so much about, you know, we're in 2023 and there's a lot of startups and a lot of businesses and stuff out there. You got to find, be prepared to explain how you differentiate. And that's what I want. I'd like to ask you how do so when I hear business intelligence and data analytics, and I mean, let's be realistic. There's a lot of companies that do that. Why was Zenletic different and what got people excited about that? Yeah, hundred uh, percent. So, if possible, let me just put a quick pin in that too, and just on your last point too about uh, you know being ready for closing that deal. Uh, yeah. There's the old saying goes, uh, you know, once you have that interest, you need to turn your entire business into a giant buy it now button, right? Yeah. Uh, it's just like what I was has like reduce that friction. That looks like different things at different stages of the you know of the deal, uh, and it could mean, for example, if you're doing a seed round or a series A round you have a well-populated data room and basically a whole bunch of copy and pasteable stuff that, you know, a, a VC associate can easily make their investment committee deck out of. Uh, at the, at the, at the pre-seed round, it means you've got a bunch of references lined up, right? So they're going to ask you about, Hey, can you provide character or professional references, whatever you should talk to those people in advance, let them know things are waiting. So that when you get that question, you are back in five seconds. Here is all the references you need. Keep the momentum up. Uh, you a know, simple one page now. A simple, a simple one, pager. one pager. Here's the problem. Here's how we solve it. This is what we're looking for. And this is what we hope to do. Mm-hmm. No one wants to read your 63. No one will read your 63 page business plan. Maybe ever. Um, but definitely not on totally. first contact. Yeah, totally. All right. So now, uh, yeah, good, great question. How do we differentiate? That's, that's, that's actually a really great uh, question for like selling stuff. It's also really, really important for VCs. And this is how VCs think about this as well. Right. And there's, different ways to articulate that landscape, I suppose. So uh, in our in our particular example, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll couch ours actually in the form of the story that I would actually use as like a founding origin story too. Uh, we're different because we're self-serve. You know, we're, we call ourselves the world's first self-serve BI tool. Uh, and you probably have heard BI tools call themselves self-serve before. That actually means, you know, static dashboards are kind of like a very, very top-down, you know, static experience. Uh, versus actually going in and exploring and understanding what's going on in your data. Uh, now, my, my co-founder and I, actually, the very first thing we did when we were studying Zenlytic is we committed to doing a bunch of consulting work. Uh, so we could see through the eyes of all of our users, basically, and we could be these data science consultants. Uh, and it was the same problem over and over again. Um, uh, we'd go and set up a BI tool for them, any of the, uh, you know, the, the big BI tools, of course, they're all pretty good. Uh, but we'd end up getting like all these questions back. So like, We'd set this up and say, all right, here's your sales dashboard. And they'd be like, great, thanks. And the next day they'd be like, oh, wait, can you slice this by X? Oh, wait, can you show me this last month too? And, you know, we started being on the receiving end of the quick data pulls, uh, which are never quick. Uh, and it just made us realize just how, if, 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 you're, if you're a nerd like me, if you know SQL and Python, uh, it is incredibly powerful and it's exhilarating to just like, you know, surf around a data warehouse and you can learn so much in such a short period of time. Uh, if you don't have the time or the desire to actually learn those tools, uh, it's a pretty different experience. And we saw that these folks that we set up these dashboards for would come back to us constantly and they're just completely dependent on us. Um, 
So we said, you know what, there has to be an improvement in the self-serve experience. Um, most BI tools are secretly built for analysts. You know, these SQL does pop up from everywhere and things like that. Uh, we're committed to doing self-serve. Um, the interesting thing is that's how we're different. The funniest part about it was actually that that probably wasn't even possible when we started. Uh, that was, uh, you know, two years ago when we started building this product, uh, we, we sort of, you know, smoothed out some of the rough edges of self-serve and made a slightly better user experience. But the real big unlock for us was the AI revolution, the LM revolution, generative AI revolution. Uh, and, you know, the end state of BI is, you know, emailing people like us, like, you know, like emailing the data nerds. Uh, and we realized there's a tool and a technology out there that would actually emulate that automatically in seconds. And like, we we're like, this is self-serve. So we leaned heavily into that. Uh, and we finally realized that goal by having this AI always on, you know, data analyst chatbot deeply integrated into the tool. And I guess that's how we're different now. So like, long story short, self-service has always been the name of the game. Uh, and now that we've had this platform shift, it's actually achievable. So well, let's that, see, that's where you, well, that's where you got to stand out. Cause look, the people that you're pitching to, like it, it, the ocean is just too big. There's too many mm-hmm. drops in that bucket and you can't expect yeah. that, that everybody you speak to, unless you're talking to like a VC firm that literally it stays in one lane, which yes. isn't always the case. Right. And so with that, you don't, you know, as you go out to explain the problem that you're solving, I would just, just, I take the assumption that, the people you're talking to have no clue that the problem you want to solve even exists. So you need to tell them that because here's the thing is a confused mind almost always says no. And if you're going to, if you confuse people, that's why I say, keep it simple. You know, if you're going to confuse people or run the risk of it, you're going to run into a no almost every day. Um, So like there's, there's really three questions that you're trying to answer in a VC pitch, right? It's like, why is this a big problem? Why are you the right team to solve it? And why now? Um, and actually, the one that's often forgotten is the why now one, uh, which I think people are good at the first two. They're actually the weakest at the why now. But let's let's just unpack that little story I gave about our business, about how it answers those three questions, right? So like, uh, you know, why is it a problem? We motivated this friction-laden, people constantly emailing data teams. It takes a lot of time on both sides. takes a lot of efforts. You know, it's, it, it's a problem. And like, so like, we start with that. Uh, you know, implicit in this, and we sort of turned it into the narrative, but it's like, you know, why are you the right team to solve this is that we've been on the receiving end of those, right? And like, like I said, I was a VC before this, so I didn't have that benefit of, uh, uh, you know, being a data analyst for 10 years. I've always been kind of analytical, but the consulting part and the consulting work, we did that so we can really understand this problem, right? So um, we, we get a deep understanding of that. Uh, and then the important thing is, you know, the why now, right? Uh, the, the way VCs think about this uh, is is correct too, by the way. And it's like, if this is that big of a problem, why hasn't somebody already solved it? Uh, which is true. You know, like if if self-service is such a big deal, then why hadn't Tableau, Tableau solved it last year, for instance, right? Uh, they've been in business for 25 years or something like that. Like, isn't there as, as good as it gets? Uh, our why now was that platform shift. There's lots of different why nows you could use. Uh, one of the most common ones is like new technology, unlocking new ways of interacting or using software. Uh, we just happen to have had a generational one of those, right? And, you know, I, I really believe that pretty much every industry is going to be impacted by this, but we're going to see application layer software using these LLMs in pretty much every single vertical. Uh, and that's just happened now. So the why now is that that is going to shake things up. Uh, that is unlocking new ways to solve this previously unsolvable problem. We've had a front row seat since before that platform shift to the problem and we're the right team to solve it. 
So like that's everything I'm trying to wrap up in that little origin story. I want to point out how quickly you stated that. You know, just meaning like it went when you wanted to compress it, you're like, here's the problem. Here's the solution. This is why we need to solve it. I'd say there's one thing that I would maybe like to see at the end of that, which was what is it going to take to solve the problem? Mm. You know, like, and you're like, um, and, and here's the thing, people grossly underestimate the amount of time. Well, a, the amount of time it's going to take to raise around. Like you mm-hmm. mentioned closing pre-seed and you're immediately working on the next round. I mean, you're looking at like, it becomes from institutional type money. I mean, five to nine months is probably an average amount of time for you to get through a diligence process and too many people wait too long to get into that. So, you know, you do need to, to keep moving forward with that. Now, you know, I want to, I want to kind of blaze through a, I've got a list of, of I want to, I don't want to get out of this episode without laying a bunch of things out there. So we'll go kind of rapid. Did you ever do any accelerators or anything like that? Um, yes, we did one accelerator, uh, which is, uh, it's called Grand, well, it is called Grand Central Tech based in New York. Um, we, so they're, they're a little different about the accelerators. We did it because uh, it was zero cost. They actually don't ask for equity. They don't ask for you know money or anything like that. They just give you a great space to work and a cohort. And we were like, yeah, sure, there's no cost. Let's do it. Uh, completely exceeded our expectations. Um, like I said, that's where those initial introductions for the you know the the one pitch preceded round came from. Is a couple of people in that class, and yeah. when we got there, started interacting with the cohort, uh, and I realized that I had no business being there, and that I was the dumbest person in the world in the room. I was incredibly happy to be there. Uh, that's kind of satisfies my lifelong goal of being the dumbest person. That, that's my that's my ongoing objective. Uh, and they had just great advice, great connections, uh, and yeah, it didn't cost us a thing, so it was absolutely worth it. Well, you know, an, another way that I, I see, and I actually work in, you know, for those of you that aren't aware, most of the cast of Startup Hustle is in Kansas City, and we've got some great grant writing organizations here. I actually work with Launch KC to help them teach their grant recipients how to give a one minute elevator pitch. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, bro, they show up and if you're listening, you know, it was you. They're bad. They're really freaking bad. You know, like you get one minute and they'll burn the first 30 seconds thanking their mom and their cousin, Tom, and you know, a lot of that stuff. And by the time they get to anything that matters, a, they're halfway out of time and B most people quit paying attention. But anyway, there's a lot of grant stuff out there in this particular case, you know, Launch KC, which is a part of the Economic Development Corporation of Kansas City, gets $50,000 grants and they give out a bunch of them every year. So, I mean, you can get out there, you can get grants, uh, you know, past guest and, uh, you know, Roy Scott from Healthy Hip Hop. He made children's hip hop that teaches, has an app, all of it. And, uh, you know, he gets grants all day, all the time. But you got to go out there and find them, and they're all over the place. I can't really give you like a uniform or streamlined way to go and get that. But there are a ton of grants out there. Did you? Yeah. I, I I don't feel like that was probably the right path for your business. So we didn't do any grants specifically. Um, we had a couple of rebates, which I think are available to everyone, like these like R and D rebates and things like that uh, from from the government and. Uh, but those, you know, I guess the like neat thing R&D about R&D credits and stuff like that. This is the R&D tax credit. Yeah. yeah. So like we were, uh, you know, we qualified for that and things like that. So like 
those those were very helpful, especially at the at the pre-seed stage. And the great thing, uh, the superpower, uh, you know, at running at the business at the pre-seed stage is that uh, it doesn't take a huge amount of money to make a huge impact. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, and if, if you go out and find even it could be from a grant, it could be from an angel, it could be from a credit, it could be whatever, it could be from a sale. Uh, but you know, you go and stumble across you know, 30, 40 grand, whatever it is, uh, you know, you can invest a ton with 30, 40 grand and make a huge impact on the business, right? That's money to bring on freelancers. That's money to run your ad trial. So you can go into the, you know, if if you found that money before your pre-seed uh, and you go in to raise the pre-seed, having spent $10,000 experimenting with, uh, you know, paid advertising on LinkedIn and Google search, uh, that puts you in the top 1% of qualified businesses, you know, pitching that VC. So that really stands out. So like, it, it, that doesn't take that much money. As you get bigger and bigger, uh, suddenly it feels like those would not move the needle for you. And you're, but you're like that. Okay, that's like you know that's just going to be a bunch of time for not that much money. But at the pre-seed stage, uh, huge, huge impact. And that's that's your superpower, right? You got to know what what you're really, really good at at the pre-seed stage. Well, in in that particular case, and you, thanks for bringing that up because it's not on my list because it's not a tr- quote funding method like an investment method but mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people are industry experts you know they have worked in and around whatever pick it uh for a long time and they truly understand a problem that no one is solving and that way when they go out and they want to start a business that solves that problem they get it people will and it's been like that for, for me at full scale as you know the the I'm the CEO and founder of the company we've got over 300 employees why because people have a very difficult time hiring offshore developers and there's a lot of weird marketplaces that quite honestly have some sketchy trust factors about them right so we fix that and, and made it and, and, you know, people say, well, what do you sell? And sometimes if I'm feeling mildly snarky, I'll say peace of mind, um, which mm-hmm. is true, though, because we, you know, there's like, you know, if you're going to start, if you want to go out and, and, and you go hire some freelancers or, or whatever, well, first off, you have no accountability with that. Second off, there's no processes with that. And the, these are these little things. And it was very easy for me to sit down with someone like you and they were, well, Matt, why should I give you my business? Because I get where you're coming from. I know what it's like to wake up at two in the morning and wonder if I'm going broke, if every decision I've made was wrong, or if I've gone already gone crazy, maybe all three. And, you know, when you can tell someone that, and as a startup founder, you can relate because you've done all those, right? So that, but people like to do business with people that they feel that are like them and that understand the problem. So like yeah. if you, you know, like I said, if you came from 15 years of experience in whatever industry, you may actually be able to go out and find people that will prepay or beta pay or however you want to look at it and give you some revenue up front because they're, they're willing to take a chance because that problem has aggravated them for so long. So, 100%. and that's, that's, and those same people might also become your investors. Yeah, that's hundred percent as well. Uh, interestingly, it's, it's funny too, because sometimes I think, uh, early, early founders worry about doing consulting work. Uh, uh, you, you know, the, like actual, cause I mean, like, I know you're talking about straddling that, which is also great, but like, uh, I think that they are concerned that VCs will be like, oh, this is a consulting shop and this is not a scalable business and whatever. Uh, I think that those concerns are usually pretty overblown. Uh, I think, uh, y- you know, I think it's okay to go out with a, uh, almost non-existent product and just sort of try and find some original or some, some, some true believers at the very, very start uh, and work with them to build that product. And I think it's more than fine to charge them for that. 
Uh, and I think you're going to spend a ton of personal time on that. And I think that great investors uh, will also really, really respect that hustle, you know, and that, that's, that's, uh, that's a lot of the pre-seed game is, is, you know, discovering PMF and getting in, you know, just sort of getting in and seeing things in the eyes of your user. And, uh, uh, you know, you know, I so long story short, I, I think founders should not worry about that, basically. And I think it's it's totally fine to, uh, you know, get very, very hands-on with initial customers. And I think it's also very, very good to charge them for it for a litany of reasons. Yeah, sure. You know, one of the things that's out there now that definitely did not exist when I first started doing all this was a lot of the crowdfunding and equity crowdfunding platforms, you know, like Kickstarter and Indiegogo and stuff like that. They've been around for a while. And honestly, those are usually good for products. Like if you make a product, um, there's a little something tangible. It's easier to get adoption from that because, you know, here you are making something cool and someone wants to be the first people to have it or whatever. But, you know, some of these equity, you know, you seed invest and CrowdCube and stuff like that weren't even legal mm -hmm. 15 years ago. And now they're out there, you know, and they, they've all got different levels of stuff, but you have the ability to do equity crowdfunding in a legal way where you couldn't do that before. I think that's the world of startups, technology and entrepreneurship responding to a problem where you couldn't do that before. So right. now let's not leave that out there. Now, uh, yeah. I, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm looking at this list and it says bank loans on here. I'm saying no. Good luck. <laughs> Like banks don't give loans yeah. to new businesses. They don't give loans to businesses that have no revenue. And if you don't have a profitable business on top of all that, move on. That's not I your that best be form of, that's not your best form of pre-seed funding. Mm -hmm. Unless you're willing to sacrifice or leverage a lot of things that exist in your personal life, which mm -hmm. I don't recommend doing because mm -hmm. yeah. If, if, you know, that's where the veil of like an LLC or, or setting up an, its own entity as the business is, is, is that's why it's there. So you yeah. aren't, so if, if whatever you're doing fails or doesn't succeed, you don't lose your house, your car and your life along with it. Yeah. As, as a startup founder, you're already putting enough of yourself on yeah. the line by going and starting a business. I think it's perfectly reasonable not to put yourself personally at risk for stuff like that. Uh, it's also, I mean, so bank loans, I think would be really tough to do, but uh, it, it's worth putting venture debt on the table. Um, uh, so there's a couple caveats though. The first thing is that venture debt is more common later stage versus pre-seed. It's pretty uncommon at the pre-seed stage. Uh, secondly, venture debt requires you to have just raised an equity round pretty much, right? So like they'll come in after you've raised a round uh, and they'll give you some more cash that you you pay back on a, on a debt schedule. Uh but you really, really need to have, you know, cash from the investors in there. So like, uh, uh, and you know, in a way it's kind of secured against the, the, the money in your bank account from those investors. Uh, so that's the second caveat is, yeah, later stage. And the, the third caveat is if you're thinking about venture debt, uh, run the numbers. So sit down with Excel and say, here's how far, you know, our runway is going to be, you know, we're going to burn X a month. This is what our runway is going to look like. Now here's what happens if we get the venture debt. We have to pay back this much every month and we, you know, whatever, uh, a lot of people run those numbers and they find it really only buys, even though the numbers look big because of the way those payback schedules are designed, it only adds a couple of months of burn in time, like counting like calendar months, you know? So uh, the, the actual impact can be fairly, can be fairly small. Uh, not like, not the case in all cases, but just go and do the numbers to figure out if it's worth it or not. And like the, the best case scenario for venture debt is actually you've got 
a strong immediate need to go and deploy a whole bunch more cash than you've just raised. So like, uh, and that is going to be important now and not 12 months from now and not 18 months from now, uh, but now, now. And venture debt is very well suited for uh, those situations. We actually did that at full scale years ago. Um, rather than selling equity, we just did a venture debt round and you know, we raised $750,000 in a week. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. And now we paid that back in an amortized way with a very healthy return, yep. which was a really good decision looking back at it because the company's worth a lot more now than it would have been at the time. And also it was a, a uh, you know, and, and look, you need to go look that up and do some research mm-hmm. on it. You've got everything from venture debt, the way we did it. And, and those kind of notes are basically you have lenders, not investors. Um, you need to go talk to an accountant, you need to talk to an attorney, and you need to make sure also that you're taking that money in a way that makes sense because you can't take it from everybody. So yeah, you got to know the landscape with that. The same thing with just general angel investing and, and stuff like that. Now, I do also want to say that if you're, you know, any sit down and make sure you understand what convertible notes do and what safe yeah. agreements. It's a simple agreement for future equity. And there's just like a lot of different things out there that, are going to seem a little overwhelming and confusing at first. And once you gain an understanding as far as how they work, as well as how that debt is positioned in the landscape of your business. Like, is that, and when I say how it's positioned, well, if you go out of business, who gets, who gets the first shot at the assets? And also if you sell the business or like, I don't know, what does it cost? Because some of this stuff can get pretty expensive. And if you don't know what you're agreeing to, you might find yourself last in line for getting paid. Yeah. Well, which I feel like if, that, which every- if you're okay with that, that might be the right thing for you. So, uh, well, Ryan, we have raced through another episode of Startup Hustle was brought to you by FullScale.io. If you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, FullScale can help. We have the people on the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. You go to FullScale.io. There is a link in the show notes for that. And with that, it's time for the Founders Freestyle, um, which... I'm going to give you the mic and, you know, that, you know, we raced right through this episode, as I mentioned. So, you know, what stood out, what did we leave out? And is there anything else that you'd like to say that we forgot? More dad jokes. Is the first More thing dad I jokes. I got we, one. We the ball. Um, <laughs> so I wrote my pitch deck in Braille. I'm going to get funded. I can really feel it. <laughs> Oh my goodness, I can't top that. There you go. That's the best one I just, had for the pre-season. Mic drop, just closed it out. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah no, it was a great chat. It was an awesome chat. It's like, I guess it's just, uh, so I used I used to do chats like this all the time as an investor as well. And like, I guess investors bring in a good perspective on things, but I really, really enjoy it when when two operators can get down and just sort of talk about the trenches, you know, and like you, you certainly pick up a lot of these things just while you're doing it. Uh, and I, I hope I feel this. I uh, come across the same way, but you know, it's just great to speak with someone who's clearly like an experienced practitioner in this stuff. Uh, you know, who's who's seen it, uh, who's lived it, and uh, you know, who really understands it deeply. And the only way you can really do that is by just starting a business and getting digging into it. Yeah, I think you know, at, at, for my freestyle, I'm going to mention that there are a lot of people out there that have an understanding of this. And look, I feel that as an entrepreneur. Other entrepreneurs have been the greatest supporters 
in me and what I'm doing. And, and here's the thing, reach out to people, you know, reach out to people and get advice, get input. Um, I rarely, I, I can't even think of an entrepreneur that I've met or I've known that wouldn't, doesn't have some affinity for the space and entrepreneurship. And like, I look back, you know, I'm 48 years old at this point and I've done this for a while, but when I was in my mid twenties, I had these people that were interested in me and I was like, why is this person showing, why do they care? They have other stuff to do. And then you kind of get to know them like, oh, you remind me of me when I was younger. Or like, I remember when I was getting started or there was this guy or gal that helped me out. And I just, and I was thinking about that and I need to pay that back. And you know, there's a whole community of people out there that are really open and willing. They'll, they'll listen to your pitch. They'll give you advice. They'll give you input. The one thing that comes with that, though, and I, I learned this pretty quickly, is you need to make it easy for people to help you. If you want help, make it easy for people to help you. If I'm reaching out for, to Ryan, I call him up and I'm like, Ryan, I could get, I, I need some advice. Or here's a text message. I really need some advice from you. When are you available and where can I be? What can I do to make this as, as convenient for you as possible? Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. hard to say no to. Yeah. Uh, the classic example there, the forwardable blurb. Is it very relevant for fundraising too, right? Where it's like, if you want to get an intro to somebody like, hey, yeah, can you put me in touch with X from Fund Y? Uh, that's weak sauce. Don't say that. It should be like, hey, listen, uh, can you be in touch? I'm going to write, I'm going to, I just sent you a separate email with the email that you can forward that articulates you know, my company, why I think they should take the meeting and, you know, what I want to get out of it. Like if you could just forward that on to this person uh, and, you know, like just uh, articulate instructions, make it as easy as possible. That's like the little individual, like micro version of the, the buy now button, right? It's like the yeah. help me now button. Yeah. I went through that, you know, when my first book balance me came out, I asked, I, I, I take a lot of pride in not asking people for stuff because when I do, I would like it if you pay attention but I asked a bunch of people, I was like, Hey, my first book comes out. I'm really excited about it. Could you say something about it on Facebook? Dude, 90% of people said, what do you want me to say? Uh -huh. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Right. <laughs> so when my next book came out, I, I did, took the approach that you mentioned, made it easy. And I, cause I realized where I had made the mistake the first time and it kind of passed by. I was like, so the second book comes out. I was like, Hey, you know, my second book's coming out. Um, I, could you, consider publish posting this. Hey, my friend, Matt has a new book out about entrepreneurship. I think you really like it. Here's link. And then I gave him, a, and you give, him give him a couple different blurbs, a couple different images. Like we even do that on the podcast, you know, like you, before this comes out, yeah. you will get an email that says, Hey, consider posting. Here's three different examples. Here's a couple images, here's video or whatever. And, you know, make it easy for people to help you. And they will. Once again, everyone totally. with me today, Ryan Jansen, CEO and founder of Zenlytic. There's a link in the show notes for that. Look, you're going to have to give a lot of pitches. You're going to probably hear a lot of no's, but you only need to hear one yes to get it started. Get out there and make it happen. Ryan, I'm going to catch up with you down the road. Thanks so much, Matt. It's been a pleasure. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.